Welcome to episode 38 of the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast with me, Kim McCall. My guest today is Colm Holland, self-described alchemist and author of The Secret of the Alchemist. Colm first came across the idea of alchemy when he was a middle manager at HarperCollins Publishers, where he assisted Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist to break into the English market. The Alchemist went on to become the world's best-selling book until being overtaken by the Harry Potter series. And this meeting with Paolo Coelho at the time had life-changing implications for Colm, as you will hear. I almost did not interview Colm. When I first read his book, I was struck by the strong echoes of his original Christianity coming through the text. And while I do not object to people's religious beliefs, there are many aspects of Christianity that I consider worthy of challenge. And I didn't really want to be challenging someone on their religion on this podcast. When I told Colm about this, he suggested we just meet and have a chat. This chat showed me I would really enjoy recording this conversation for you, because I found Colm to be both inspiring and heart-centered. Ever since meeting Paulo Coelho, he really focused on living a life with purpose. This has involved shifting from traditional Christian uh, background to embracing the alchemical pathway, exploring the role of human consciousness in creating magic in our life, and living from a place of knowledge that we are unconditionally loved for who we are and not for what we do. You could say that Colm has made his life his own hero's journey. At the end of the interview, Colm explains the method he uses to transform his own life as well as those of others. So stick around for that. And if you enjoy this conversation, go check out Colm's Alchemy Lab podcast where you will find an interview with me too. And as always, don't believe in anything experiment, have your own experiences, and practice discernment. I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, so Colm, welcome, and uh, I'm really looking forward to exploring alchemy with you. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast today. Real privilege. Yeah, and I really am. I it's It's one of those things, it's quite funny. Alchemy is a term that... Um, you know, floats around and um, it's associated with magic and so on. It's never particularly drawn me. I've, I've kind of, um, it seemed like, you know, like an old sort of practice, uh, sure. somehow relegated to the medieval time and yeah. sort of, a, but, um, you know, speaking with you um, before this in various conversations, I've become really intrigued by, what alchemy is as a practice and how it actually relates to our growth as consciousness and so on. Um, Great. So I look yeah. forward to that. But before we dive into that, I guess I'd like to start a bit with yourself. Um, you didn't always, you know, you weren't always into alchemy. No. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is that, your, your connection with Paolo Coelho's book, The Alchemist. So, sure. yeah, let's start a bit about how that, you know, your background and how alchemy popped up in your life. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll start with where alchemy popped up, and it was Paolo Kahlo. Those people listening to your podcast that have read The Alchemist, this one, there you go, people will recognise that, The Alchemist by Paolo Kahlo. Um, I 
came across this work and the author almost 30 years ago when the book was published uh, because I was working in Sydney. I was a middle manager for HarperCollins Publishers, who were the publishers of the book, and we had just purchased the English language rights to The Alchemist. Before that, Paolo, of course, is Brazilian. His first language is Portuguese, those who know know something about him. And the book and him, as far as the rest of the world outside Brazil was concerned, he was completely unknown. Uh, I know that's hard to believe now, but... Even though he had been quite, ever, a, quite a prolific author before already, right, but in only in Portuguese. Yeah, he'd written a couple of books, yes. And and we, if we get time, I'll, I'll tell the story of... of his lack of success and then what shifted and how he became the Guinness Book of Records most sold or living author of all time ever in the human race. <laughs> wow. um, nobody in their own lifetime had, for a while there had sold as many books as he had. So that big shift <laughs> yeah. from being a, a very, very parochial, not terribly best-selling Brazilian author to becoming a global a global author star of the world, only beaten, of course, by J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which is also about alchemy. Exactly, <laughs> yep. <laughs> which is interesting. So um, because of my job, I, I was responsible in Australia for the company to decide how many copies of each book that was being published by our other branches overseas and uh, this manuscript landed on my desk with a pile of others. Uh, on a Late on a Friday afternoon, the post guy came in, slung it on my desk, said, have a great weekend. And I, this, um, it was attached. It was just A4 paper stapled together, can you believe? Um, which you know, is hard, hard to believe now. Um, and this cover was stapled. Here it is. This cover, those of you watching on YouTube, this cover was stapled to the front, and that cover, don't ask me why, just got my attention. And I was a pretty skeptical, business-minded publisher who was trained to be conservative, trained not to get too excited, uh, trained to make sure that we didn't lose money. And you can very quickly lose money by over, over getting over-enthusiastic about a book and it doesn't work. Uh, but I took the, the manuscript home. And those of you who read it and who love it will know what I felt. Um, I was mesmerized by this fable of the shepherd boy who goes in search of his treasure. And of course, it's I was I had read quite a lot of Joseph Campbell. I knew a lot about the philosophy of the hero's journey in literature and fiction. And I realized that's what this book was. But it was more than that there was some some extra force and you're talking about mr skeptical <laughs> didn't believe in any of this stuff at all that there was forces going around or there were resonances and so on i just felt moved by the book and i think partly because i was 40 years old at the time and um since the age of 18 i had been on a spiritual journey of my own Nothing to do with alchemy. I'd never even heard of alchemy. Had no idea what it was. It didn't even cross my path until I, I read The Alchemist. Um, but I had been on a journey, and I'd reached that point with so many 
people who embark at an early age on, on a journey of transformation or a spiritual journey, where you kind of, you get to that point in middle age and you just begin to wonder, is it worth carrying on pursuing that side of, of, of your life? You know, you, you're sort of settled down. The, the, you know, if you're married, you've got the family. Um, I was, a, you know, in a reasonably comfortable position in, a, in my career. I've been reasonably successful. It's, there does come a point, I think, when you can kind of just go, okay, um, I feel safe. I've done a lot of work now. I can have done a, a lot of work. Break. Yeah, don't need to take any more risks. And I think I was at that point. But what I did know was that deep down in, in my in my heart of hearts, I was discontent. In the sense, not that I didn't have enough, because I did have enough. I was discontent in the sense that I hadn't really fulfilled my true purpose. I hadn't really reached my the, the real level of my own true empowerment. You know, I hadn't yeah. really entered into my true self and what and what that was all about and what I had to offer the world. And that's when I was reading The Alchemist. Right at that moment in my life, this manuscript landed on my desk. Anyway, um, from a publishing history point of view, it's well known. Paolo has sold over 85 million copies just of that book. And then there's all these other books. So, you know, goodness knows how many millions of millions of copies, tens, hundreds of millions that he's sold. And um, he's been extremely successful. Uh, but he did credit me. And this was the amazing thing, which I never expected at the time. Um, I got I was the first in the company to actually get really enthusiastic about the book. So I went back to all my colleagues in head office uh, in the States and said, this is going to be a mega bestseller. And they all went, really? I said, yeah, absolutely. This is going to be probably one of the best books that HarperCollins has ever published. And um, they said, are you okay? You know, you're not drunk. <laughs> you haven't lost it. I said, no, I, I just know. Anyway, I was right. So this was just a feeling, found, right? This was just like a, a sense, a knowing, an, inner, an inner feeling in your... Knowing. Yeah. It was a knowing. And because it had touched me, one reading, I just read it, it touched me. And I thought, well, you know, I'm relatively sceptical on these things. So if it can touch me, it's going to be powerful. This is a powerful book. Now, now and, one thing I'm curious about, um, Colm, you mentioned a couple of times that you, you, you were quite sceptical Yet at yeah. the same time, you'd been on what you described as a, some sort of spiritual journey since you were yes. 18. Yes. So I, I find it hard to imagine a spiritual journey that doesn't involve some sense of connection, you know, guidance, looking for no. signs. I mean, what, what was your, what was the, I don't know. What, what so I'd had a very traditional, aspects? yeah, traditional Christian spiritual journey in a sense. Well, <laughs> Not not a normal one. You're right, actually. Yeah, you called me out. I just accept it as normal. I, I'd never had any connection to what we now call the New Age environment. I'd, I'd not had any influence from it. I'd not uh, had any involvement with the paranormal. I'd not... Um, alchemy like you, I, if I knew anything about alchemy, I thought it was a defunct you know, superstition buried in the Middle Ages bunch of crazy guys trying to turn lead into gold, you know, no credence given to that whatsoever. I was very, I'd come through um, 
years and years and years ago, a, a Billy Graham tract. So, you know, but I did have an experience when I, when I did go through that stage. Of my life, I did have an experience of, of what I called the cosmic Christ. And it did set me out as a bit of an oddball in the Christian churches that I was having an experience, talk. having the experience with the cosmic Christ made you an oddball in the Christian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seems like a contradiction. <laughs> I know it was. Yeah. And, and I really struggled for years and years and years um, <clears throat> to find a home in the Christian church that understood that I had been enveloped. And in a moment in time, I'd been enveloped in this thing that I called unconditional love that went deep into me. And even the people around me who <clears throat> were sort of teaching me and guiding me in the early days were quite shocked at um, the depth of transformation that had happened to me. And I just kept saying, well, it's, it's love. You know, I've had this encounter with love. Um, have you not? <laughs> isn't this, doesn't every Christian, isn't this what being a Christian is? And they'd all go, oh, no, 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 you've got, no you, you'll calm down. It'll, it, you'll, you'll get over it. You know, there's, right. there's much more to being a Christian. You know, now here's the doctrine. Learn this, you know, and here's the rules. Behave like this, and and here's the hierarchy. Submit to this, and and I'd go. Well, what's that got to do with love? Aren't we supposed to be loving ourselves and loving our brother as ourselves and loving the world? You know, aren't we supposed to be loving our enemies? You know. <laughs> so I felt like I was a bit of a voice in the wilderness, and I really it was like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. All the cliches. Yeah. Um, so eventually, by the time I got, came to Australia, I came to Australia in 1989, um, I had had some quite, I did manage to find a few Christians who understood what I was talking about, and they helped me on various, and it's in my book, if you read my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, for those that, uh, I know you, got, you mentioned it earlier, but yeah, The Secret of the Alchemist. Um, I do talk about how I was able to find that love again, and how I was able to let that love transform parts of myself that I felt needed healing and, and help me to become the person I wanted. But I, when I got to Australia and I was at that moment with, with, with the alchemist and Paolo Kahlo, and when I met him, I was definitely at the point of, and I, you know, I'd sat back. I, this is it. I'm, there's nothing more really I can't see. I'm just going to make money. I'm just going to, you know, keep loving my family and raise them properly. And, but for me, that's, I think, feel like that's kind of it. You know, yeah. There's no, I can't see anywhere else to go with this. And then Paolo found out about my enthusiasm book and invited, he came to Sydney on his first uh, author tour ever, actually he came to Australia, uh, which was fabulous. And uh, back in 1993, and he spoke at the Adelaide Writers yeah, came to Adelaide, yeah. Festival, the Q for people wanting him to sign a copy of his book, went round the block out, outside, unheard of. And yeah. so I knew, you know, hey, I was right. This is, and it was at that moment, it was around that time that something strange, I can only call it strange because it, it wasn't normal for me. I had a distinct sense that this book had a power attached to it 
that went beyond what you read in the story. It was beyond the words of the story. It was beyond, it was something about the spirit in with which this book had been written that I had never encountered in any other work before. And I published books by Marianne Williamson, those who, who know The Course of Miracles. I published Dr. Wayne Dyer, um, amazingly powerful speaker, charismatic writer and, and author. But there was this was a little story about a shepherd boy called the, you know, Santiago in this book, the advert. Anyway, so he came to Sydney and he invited myself and my wife and our publicity manager and, and her assistant um, out for a meal, just six of us. It was amazing. Um, normally it's a crowd of, you know, executives, but mm. it was just us. And we, we weren't the most senior people in the business either, by any means. And um, he, he gave my publicity director, he gave her a, a diamond ring as a thank you for looking after them in Adelaide, which was amazing. And she was in tears and we were all, you know, clapping. It was amazing. And then he looked at me and he said, Colm, I want to thank you for being the first person in, in the English language, really, to be so enthusiastic about my book and believing that it's going to be a seller. And, and I, you know, he said, I agree. I think it is going to be a bestseller. And uh, but I, So I want to give you something. And I thought, what's he going to give me? <laughs> Maybe a gold Rolex, <laughs> just having seen what he, you know, so that in itself is a bit of, shows the shallowness of my state at the time that I would immediately think of something material that kind of summed it up. And um, he said, I've asked God and the universe what I should give you. And I was told I should spend a day of my time doing my alchemy magic just for you. And then he sort of looked me in the eye, and it was one of those, just one of those moments when I could, you know, his soul was seeing into my soul, and my soul was seeing. I've never experienced that before with anybody. And um, something happened. Uh, can't explain it. Don't know. It was like I instantly in that moment, I sort of moved from over here to over there, whatever over here was to wherever over there is. But there was a shift. Um that I didn't understand. And I thought, what the hell is alchemy magic? What's that? You know, <laughs> in, you know, my skeptic brain said just bunch of mumbo jumbo, maybe who, who knows? And I kind of dismissed it. I didn't value it in any way. So goodbye. And off he went. And I thought, oh, it's a great guy, lovely guy. Wish him the very best. Hope he'll be as successful as I think he will be. But um, that was it. Were you disappointed? Well, I thought, were you disappointed about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, no, yes, yeah, if I'm on, yeah, absolutely, being honest, yes. Uh, there, was a di there was a disappointment. I drove home, remember driving up the freeway, going home to the suburbs that night and um, saying to my wife, well, what did you think about that? You know, it was a beautiful, starry Sydney evening. And um, I remember it really well, and I turned around and said, what do you, well, what do you make of that? You know, and she said, well, it's what you think about it that really matters, isn't it? Not, not me. And I said, well, a gold Rolex would have been nice. And she laughed and she said, you know, and other people said, well, you better be careful what you wish for because what Paolo said was that I've worked with the universe so that whatever you want, Colin, will come to pass. You just need to decide what you want. And those are the last words that Paolo said to me before he left. And so I... I thought about it, and over the next few weeks, even though I was really busy, I actually thought, well, what you know, this feeling I mentioned earlier, this discontent that I haven't really 
fulfill my true purpose. I actually want to fulfill my true purpose. That is what I want, actually. Okay, it'd be nice to make more money. It would be nice to do this. It'd be nice to do that, whatever. It would be nice to be some become you know, a more loving and caring person, if, you know, of course, all of those things. And then stuff, Kim, I'm not kidding. <laughs> stuff began to happen. And so that was my initiation into what I later discovered was alchemy. But at the time, I didn't credit it to alchemy at all. Um, I didn't understand, but things, omens, synchronicity, all things that Carl Jung talks about. I, I did know quite a bit about Carl Jung and his philosophy of psychoanalysis, um, the unconscious and the, and the conscious mind and how we bury stuff in the unconscious, all of that stuff. It all started to become real. It all started to make sense. It's like a penny dropped. And I went back to the original alchemist, you know, and I thought, I'm going to find out, you know, I'm going to devote what time I have to this book and find out what what's going on in this book. And is is there something in here yeah. that will shed light on what this thing that, that Paolo said he did for me, this alchemy magic? What is it in here? Is it just following your dreams and hoping they're going to come true? Or is there more to it than that? And when and so I looked in, sorry. Uh, well, I was going to ask just, I mean, uh, there's kind of so many different streams where we could go, but I, I, I just briefly, if you can just briefly outline when you said stuff started to happen. Yeah. What, just give a couple of examples of stuff that happens just to give people okay. for what that is. So there was a new awareness. I felt as if I was seeing the world slightly differently to before I met Paolo. Can't, hard to describe. It's just one of those things where the world kind of, Oh, it's really nice to get up this morning. <laughs> wow. Look at the beautiful forests over there. Look at the bush. Oh, look at that sunrise. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wow. The beach and the sea just suddenly, hmm. You know, so that was one of those things. Sense of aliveness. Um, sense of aliveness and presence and awareness. Uh, you got it. Yeah, all yeah. of those things. And and then the, the two guys who I reported to in the business um, left the business very quickly, uh, both got promoted to better jobs somewhere else, and suddenly, out of nowhere, even though I'd been there many years, I, I was promoted up into the upper echelons of the local firm, and, and I, that was completely unexpected. There were so many other suitable candidates, you know, at my level who, but no, that, it was me. And it wasn't something I actually wanted. <laughs> it was... I was still yearning for this thing. And then I realized it helped, that helped me see that what I really wanted was to run my own show. I actually wanted my own business. And, and so I actually decided that if I believe what Paolo had said to me, and that is what I really want, um, the universe, that's a new thought, the universe, wow, the universe wants to give me that that when we truly are aligned with our, tr our truest intent of our heart, when we, when we identify it and really align with it, with, with our commitment and our will, stuff happens. And so through a series of synchronicity, coincidences, whatever you want to call them, I ended up um, starting my own business 
we became back in 1997 we became the largest um, independent digital agency in Australia. We, uh, our clients were Channel 7 Television. Hi, everybody in Australia, Channel 7 TV, Toyota Australia, Telstra. We had 75 so what were you, you, you were an agency for what? Was it advertising? Uh, digital, building digital stuff, yeah, websites, oh, okay. yeah, yep. online purchasing, all of that stuff. Um there were a, there were very few. The mainstream agencies hadn't really caught up with digital. They were still analog, doing print and radio and TV. We, yeah, so we you're were, right at the forefront then. Of oh, the, right at the, the front. Digital. And I started it. <laughs> and That's this great. is the thing. What you see now, the column you see now, wasn't the column before I, you know, before I met Paolo. Yeah. There was a confidence and a new awareness of my ability to achieve what I wanted to achieve, which I wasn't I wasn't having to work at. It just felt natural. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. Um, we did really well. I Eventually, I sold my shares in the business to my business partners that I um, had worked with at the time. And um, I remember going into the bathroom one day in our time and <laughs> in our office, North Sydney, and um, looking in the mirror and saying, how the hell did you get here? How, how did you, you know, talking to myself, what what was this? And then it, it just dawned on me. It was that evening with Paolo. And from that moment onwards, I actually decided to commit my life to, to discovering what alchemy magic was, what was it that Paolo did for me, what is it about this book that is, is so amazing and changes people's lives incredibly. Yeah. And I discovered alchemy magic. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about alchemy magic. Because um, I, I, so that's from that point when you had that question, that's when you're saying, right, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. And you had this realization, you went, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Yes. Um, so, so it, was like, it was like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. And I had different clues. It was like, Okay, I've got. I, I know this, and I know this, and I know something about this. And I, so I knew about Dark Knight of the Soul and the Unconscious, and going within, and transforming the darker parts of our. You know, so I knew that. So that was one little bit of the jigsaw puzzle. I also knew that um, there is a there is this force called unconditional love, that is the basis of of what holds all things together. So I knew a bit about that because um, it had changed my life previously. Um, I, knew, I knew a bit about Carl Jung and his um, theory of individuation, of how we can grow to become our true self and how powerful that was and how m millions of lives have been helped through that understanding. So I had these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, but I couldn't put them together. It was really like, okay, how do I make sense of all of this? And then I, um, I tell the story in my book, um, I remembered that um, Dr. Wayne Dyer had actually called me in my office when I was publishing in Sydney one day. He called me, and it was really weird. I, I, the receptionist said, Dr. Wayne Dyer's on the phone for you. Is this a prank? Because <laughs> you know, I had friends in the company who would do that kind of thing. And um, I picked the phone up, and it was Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he said, hi, Colin. And I said, oh, hi, Wayne. How are you? And he said, um, I've heard about what you did for Paolo Calo. And I said, what do you mean? What, 
what I did for Paolo Kelly said, well, you obviously did some alchemy magic for him. And I sort of thinking, did I? What, what's he, what does he mean? And he said, I want you to do the same for my new book, Real Magic. It's just about to be published in Australia. I know you're the buyer. Can you make sure you buy lots of copies and can you make sure it gets out there? Because can you just do your alchemy magic? Can you do your alchemy magic for me? And I thought, wow, okay. Okay, see you, Carl. Bang. He was gone. And um, I and that I recalled that conversation as I was studying the alchemist. And then suddenly these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle came together. And it was staring. I actually had the book. I nearly always got the book on my desk somewhere. And then I realized that it's all about alchemy. <laughs> it's called The Alchemist. And when you open the book and when you start to study it in detail, every other page is an illumination on what alchemy is, how you can use it, what it does, how it connects things. What you know, And so... That was the beginning of, of, okay, finally, once I brought alchemy into the into the mix of what I knew, what I already knew, all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle started to slot into place and I got, I got finally got the picture. And so, so it's, like, it's it. like alchemy became the, the overall framework, if I understand it, yeah, where you're fitting everything kind of has a piece in that. The new, it became a new metaphor. Yeah. My old metaphor was Christianity. Nothing wrong with that. Not, I'm not knocking Christianity in any way, shape, or form. It has you know, helped transform my life. But it no longer was a working metaphor for me. I couldn't, I couldn't move forward with that metaphor anymore. I'd gone as far as I could. So I, suddenly I discovered this new metaphor called alchemy, and I um, began to see to review my life and to review my, my understanding of the world and the universe and people and how people think and how they react and how a psyche works in the light of, of alchemy. And then suddenly it was like it, the light came on and it all made sense. And it's this. So there are different schools of alchemy. Just a really quick history on alchemy. Started about 5,000 years ago in Egypt, almost where the pyramids are. So it was no coincidence that this book, it's got the pyramids <laughs> yeah. on the cover because it's all about alchemy. So it began in that area. These were holders, the people who called themselves identified as alchemists, male and female, would um, attribute their understanding of the universe to uh, an Egyptian god called Thoth. Can, can I just um, ask, a, uh, this is yeah. probably a bit of a technical question being from my anthropologist side, but yeah, go for do, it. You ha do you happen to know whether the Egyptian version of, there is an Egyptian version of the word alchemist that was actually used or is the word alchemist today being sort of superimposed on whatever people call themselves at the time? Um, well, the name, the name <clears throat> is actually, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the name is actually, um, it tells you where it came from. So it, it came from Al alchemy is is where it came from. The, that's the name of the place where alchemy was originally. Ah, so it's it's okay. It's like alchemy is like a alchemy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yes, it's it started in Arabia. <clears throat> Excuse me, as it was known then. I'm just going to grab a drink. Sorry. That's all right. <clears throat> um. 
it was it was founded in that region of, of Arabia, as it was known at the, you know, generally Egypt to some degree, and it 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 branched, but it it was right up until medieval England, right up until the Middle Ages, right up until the era of Queen Elizabeth I in England and her contemporaries around Europe and so on, and even in India and, and China, um, it was still an entity in human thinking, big time. Queen Elizabeth had her own alchemist, and he was identified as an alchemist, and, he, and she wouldn't do anything without consulting him. And so what, what would have been the role of such a person? Was it like a... Like a, a, a seer. They're yeah. a seer. They, yeah, they're a seer. They can see what's potentially what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, so she would consult her, her alchemist, and so did many other monarchs around the globe. But then the Inquisition came in a big way, Puritanism, the Reformation, Enlightenment, and it was essentially... Uh, pushed under the carpet. It was completely suppressed in Europe, particularly. So there were several schools. There was the English European movement of alchemy, which was very symbolic. It was buried in symbols. It was buried in tables. It was buried in in uh, the logistics of the whole thing. And and the whole aim was. According to the alchemists, it was all about the ability to create wealth from, you know, substances that are worthless like lead. And so that's where the whole concept of the laboratory and so on. And it was dismissed and it was suppressed. It was treated as witchcraft by, by the Catholic Church and quite a large proportion of the Puritan movement. Um, and so it was completely squashed. The European school of alchemy became very, very, very uh, esoteric and just became this very distant, narrow branch and, and hardly anybody followed it at all or even understood what it was. But there was a couple of guys who still hung on to it and decided it had real value if we understood what the real value of alchemy was. So somewhere beneath that image of, of lead into gold and laboratories and all that, there's some another truth that actually alchemy carries. And if we could just discover what that is, then we've got one of the major understandings of what makes the world tick, in fact. And one of them is Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, the guy who discovered gravity. He was a, a student of alchemy and a Christian, which was really interesting. And then later, um, off the back of that, a couple of centuries later, uh, Professor Carl Jung. Professor Carl Jung was a lifetime avid student of alchemy. He wrote books on the subject. Okay. And do you happen to know, so what would they have been studying? What were the sources of the alchemical There were, there were some were. books floating around. There were books, codified books that were needed deciphering. Um, there were a few individuals around the world who had made an effort, and Isaac Newton collected all the ones that he could. So he would... Um, correspond with the, what some of the world's greatest and oldest libraries and say, have you got any books in your library on alchemy? I want them. I'll buy them. And they go, yeah, you can have them. We don't, <laughs> we don't want them. Nobody, nobody even understands what these books are about. It's all in code. It's all in symbols. We, you know, Yeah. So he, he, and it's in Cambridge. You can actually go and visit 
his library mm. in Cambridge University. So that's still there. And then later, Carl Jung discovered this. And the reason he got into start becoming a student of alchemy, what is that he independently of alchemy developed his whole theory of the of the unconscious mind and the conscious mind and how the unconscious mind is 80% of our brain activity and, and so on and so on and, and the ability to find the true self. You know, he broke away from, from Sigmund Freud at the point that he believed there was a mystical element to the psyche that Freud ignored and that he wanted to introduce that. So uh, archetypes came out of Jung's understanding of alchemy. And he, as he, the more he studied alchemy, the more he realized there was this complete um, synergy between the teachings, the, the underlying teachings of alchemy and his teaching of psychoanalysis. And it's this, that there is within the universe a force. The alchemists called it prima materia. Um, Jung sort of attributed it to, to archetype. And I personally married this partly because of what goes on in the story of, of the alchemist is that the, what, we're, what they're all really talking about is this power called unconditional love. But actually, some, some religions call it grace. Some religions call it you know, the great benefactor. You know, they feel that you know, somebody's looking out for them. That isn't made up in the world of alchemy and in the world of Carl Jung. That is that is a, a genuine force. So the universe is imbued, is held together by a primary force, and that primary force has a character. It doesn't mean that we should personalize it. I'm not talking about a deity on sitting on a throne and on a cloud. It has a character, has a nature, and that nature is unconditional for love for us as a, as a as a human race as a species that is what it is and and carl jung discovered that paolo calo discovered that and towards the end of his book there is this amazing episode of alchemy magic which i encourage everybody to read where um, love is identified as the power that is unique to us as a species so the world's an amazing place. The universe is an incredible, amazing. The more you think about it, it just, just blows your mind. But there is one special gift that humans have that the sun doesn't have in the, in the story of, of Santiago and the alchemist. You know, the desert doesn't have this. The wind doesn't have this. The universe doesn't have We have it. We've been given this power, and that is to receive unconditional love and then to, to give unconditional love that is our gift to the universe that's what we're here for that is yeah and all, I mean, I... and all the great religions all the great religions touch on it all the great religions skirt it all the great religions try and embody it in some way but the the, the metaphor for me that puts it front and central to the core view of the world is that we are surrounded and we are enveloped in love that is yeah. what we what we have as as a human race. Uh, whether we take any notice of it, whether we utilize it, whether we accept that, whether we allow that love to to heal us, to to deal with the pain 
of our lives, whether we help it to transform us, to become our true self, that's up to us. Because it won't ever force itself. It, 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 it won't ever you know, intervene. It won't intrude. It waits to be invited. And I realized, look, going way back to when I was 18, I did invite that love into my life. It just so happened to come through one particular religion, but um, it's irrelevant. Um, how well, I think you make that point in your book, right? That it's no, yeah. it's this doesn't attach to any particular religion. No. In fact, it doesn't attach to whether we follow any kind of religion or not. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of interesting things that you say. I mean, that that force, that unifying force, uh, mm. primo materia. Is that what you say, primo materia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Latin, I guess. Yes. Um, I mean, that's like the primal energy um, in Hinduism. That's a big part, right? Atman. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In conscienceology, which is the, the sort of the, the process or the discipline that I understand, the lens, I suppose, that I use, mm -hmm. um, we call it immanent energy, but because um, yeah. yeah. it's everywhere, it's diffuse, right, to, to everything. Absolutely. There's no, um, what, I, what I find interesting, though, I, I guess with the love part, um, that it's unique to humans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I... I would say two things. First of all, when you become multidimensional, right, when you look beyond the physical dimension yeah. and you explore and, and see that there is many other beings in other dimensions who are also intelligent, sentient beings um, sure. and not necessarily human and definitely tuned into love, if you want to call that, yes. that love. And also at the level of planets, um, I think, you know, we could have an argument or a discussion about it. It's probably disagreement about whether there's consciousness. No, I don't think we're going to disagree, and I can explain why yeah. we're not going to disagree on it. Yeah, yeah. no, I probably don't think so either. But for me, for <laughs> example, planet Earth is its own consciousness. Um, sure. That's, that's how I understand it. Yeah, yep, yep. and it, and it is that so, it's that interaction between consciousness and that energy that... Okay, so if I can explain, because you're making a really, really good point, Kim, so I can elaborate a bit more on what I said because I was generalizing. Yeah. So, um, yes, everything has its own energy. And if everything is transforming, planet Earth is transforming, the sun is transforming, as we know, one day it's going to do its thing. Um, won't be in our lifetime. The unique thing that I'm, uh, that I discovered or I believe is, and what alchemy teaches is that we as, as humans are, are the consciousness that understands all that. That's our role. So we understand, so you understand all of those things about the earth and other beings and other dimensions and so on. The uniqueness of, of, of what we is in the here and the now, in, the, in this dimension, we are the ones who have that ability to nurture that or to destroy it. We have a role, we, we have a place, and uh, in my mind, we are the only ones that are able to unite all of those forces. Uh, it's within our, our consciousness that we have this, this new, and it's very special. It's, it's a huge responsibility in my mind. It's the choice, um, right, is what I'm getting from what you're saying. It's that freedom of choice that we have yes. here, which... It's yes. also one of those features that you find throughout history, through traditions, be it philosophy or religious traditions, that human humans have 
good and evil, as it were, right? This is the extreme yeah. as a choice. So let me let me answer your original question then. Now we've got some really great context. Thanks for, for your input on that because that really broadened it out. Um, because when I'm doing alchemy magic, I am using all of those other forces that you, all those other consciousnesses that you've you've mentioned. Um, so I should I should add those in. When when I when now I realize what alchemy magic is, it is one human's total one hundred percent focus on the well-being of another, using all of all of that unconditional love at our disposal to the exclusion of anything else. So alchemy magic is about drawing on all of all of the forces and the powers within the context of love for the well-being of another. So it's unconditionally wanting the best for another human. That is what Paolo did for me. And that is what I've learned to be able to do for other people. Uh, it's taken me 20 years, <laughs> um, but I, I've refined it and I've discovered the power of it. Every time I see people's lives transformed as a result of that, that concentration and that focus of unconditional love, and the moon gets involved and the sun gets involved and the earth gets involved and different light beings get involved. There's no formula. It depends on the individual. Um, I realize that um, I, whenever I come away from doing that work, I am so humbled. I feel smaller and smaller and smaller and I realize just how amazingly loved we are as as a species as as individuals our inner child our adult our relationships the the universe and love just wants the very best in, in, in every possible way. And that doesn't mean we're not going to be ill. It doesn't mean that things are bad aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean those things. But there is a there is always a resource available within each of those situations that nothing else can deliver, and that is you know unconditional love. That so so front and center of my book then is you know, the seat in the secret of the alchemist, right at the very beginning of this book. I nail my <laughs> colors to the mast, as they say, and I say, you know, right, right at the beginning, that the greatest challenge we face is to truly believe uh, at the very core of our heart that we're loved unconditionally for who we are and not for what we can do. And that, and is, never... such a, that is such a big challenge for just about all of us, I think. The, yeah, absolutely. The, the, conditioning, <laughs> the conditioning of um, there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong mm -hmm. with the world is, yep. is so powerful. Yeah. Um, because in some theological, doctrinal metaphors, it answers you know, it's it's a sort of a convenient answer to why stuff happens this way or why stuff happens that way, and it gives us the ability to project out of our own shadow self responsibility onto something else, um, not take that responsibility. Either. I mean, stuff happens to everybody, 
And one of the tricks, of course, um, anybody who's done any kind of transformation will know is you've got to own that. You've got to stop putting it off. You know, people may have done some terrible, terrible things to you, but in the end of the day, you have to own the, the consequences of that within yourself because nobody else can do that. Um, and so in my book, I talk a lot about how I personally have worked through the wounds and the pains um, that shaped the person that I became, that I that behaved in a way that I didn't, respect myself and felt in a way that I didn't respect and how by allowing love ultimately into even those darkest, deepest parts, what what I call the dark night of the soul, um, was able to allow love to heal, to uh, embrace, to accept so that I could heal and embrace those parts of myself. So not until I let love Mm. show me the way was I able to um, move on, to own, to love, uh, to accept and move on. And what I discovered, and this is, this is where the alchemy bit comes in. This is the, I just love the day. I can still remember the day this all, the penny dropped. And I thought, yes, that's what it is. So these bits of me that I despise, that I treated like lead in yeah. alchemy terms, of no value, although lead is quite expensive these days, but... Uh, in a metaphorical sense of no intrinsic value like gold, they were my gold. They are our treasure. The things we most despise about ourselves is our treasure if we will let love transform it. So I, I often come on podcasts, Kim, and um, you know, I say to people, and I'll say, say it today only, only because it's so relevant to this point, that, that when, you, when you see me, when you hear me, when, when people relate to me now, um, I have to say this wasn't me when I started off. So who is this person that I've become? And I, I know exactly who it is. It's the original me that I rejected. So I, I had an inner child who did not believe that he was loved at all who stuff happened to, and you can read my book, I won't go into the detail now of what, of what happened. I make myself quite vulnerable in that book, but because I think it's important um, for other people to know they're not alone in their suffering. Um, and what I realised when I finally allowed love to meet that inner child who was about three or four years old, a very angry, very hurt, very confused boy, um, he actually, once once he'd accepted love, once I enabled him to feel to feel love, he held all the treasure. He's the one that's that could speak out. He's the one that could get enthusiastic. He's the one that could uh, that wanted to help other people. He's the one that wanted to to fulfil his true destiny and, and and his life. And 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 then of course I realised that when you read <laughs> the Alchemist. That's exactly, he's even called the boy. Santiago is called throughout the book, the boy. Mm-hmm. It was an obvious in the end, it was just so obvious, but it took me quite a long time to figure out that's what um, was going on. As you went through your own experiences, I guess, yeah, when then became the, the mirror. Um, yeah, that's so powerful. And, and also, um, 
you know, healing those parts of us uh, by really just by what you talked about a little bit before. You mentioned when you work, when you do your alchemy work with other people, it's about mm. being fully present with them and mm. giving your full attention to them, and that is really the same when we do it with ourselves, right? When we want to connect to those yep. wounded parts, because it's so natural, we're so habituated to turn away, to push it away. These are things that we feel shame about or guilt about sure. or, you know, embarrassment. Um, yeah. But to actually practice turning towards that within ourselves then helps us turn towards it in other people and um, yeah. pre be present, which that sounds what it's like. That sounds like that's what you do in your, what you describe as alchemy work. Yes. People. And... Um, to quote Carl Jung again, and there is this collective unconscious as well. So one of the things that you realize about love in the, in what I have over time is that love also connects us psychically to one another. I'm not going to use the cliche because I don't believe it to the way one suffers all suffer and, and stuff like that. That is true to a degree, but I'm, I'm not, thinking in platitudes like that, I'm actually thinking at something at a much more, at a much deeper psychic level, whereby um, it's possible for, for whole societies and whole communities to have a, have a, a sort of a demise, a sense of demise amongst themselves that because they are so close to each other and they begin to think similarly about certain stuff and, it spills out into our societies and it spills out as prejudice, it spills out as fear, it, it spills out as protectionism, it spills out in all those different... So not only is our unconscious um, capable of, uh, if, we don't, if we don't work with those parts of our unconscious that we despise, they, they will become dragons, as, I, as we call it, and, and the alchemists were the first to identify they didn't call it the unconscious, they just called it the dragon within. And we all have our own personal dragons that try to consume us. But as societies, we have our dragons that try and um, blame, will always try and blame others and, you know, another section of society or anybody who's slightly different from, you know, the group, the group norm, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. And it happens right across different races and different cultures and different parts of the world. It's, it's a, it's a, a common theme. And, and Carl Jung said, this is our collective unconscious. So one of the things that as an alchemist, uh, which I now identify myself as an alchemist, uh, there aren't many of us, by the way, if you want to join, you're very welcome. <laughs> um, you know, there's you no card. You have to, is, there, is there some sort of club you sign up to or you just... Uh, afraid not. No. As, in a, as I said, as Groucho Marx said, if I wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. Yeah. Um, alchemy won't. There is no club. It doesn't exist. People say, you know, quite often say about alchemy, and I say, well, it doesn't exist. I say, what do you mean it doesn't exist? I said, it's just a view to something much more important. And it will always... Alchemy will always point you to something much more important. It will always point you to unconditional love. Um, so how do you know that's the, that's the road, that, you know, if, if you're on that right track? Well, one of the other things Alchemy teaches, and in Paolo Kehler's book, The Alchemist, and in my book, and in Jung's 
Carl Jung's life particularly, he believed in this thing, synchronicity, which is when you're on the right track, when you're headed towards personal transformation, when you're wanting the very best for your own, your own well-being and for the well-being of others, the universe, for want of a better phrase, will give you signs. Stuff will happen. And you can tell other people about this stuff. And quite honestly, they just go, hmm synchronicity the coincidence yeah. same thing but in the eyes of the beholder they are they mean something yeah there are scientists there is a statistician famous statistician who's been helping out with covid in the uk um who's got a website where he collects people's synchronicity stories because he's trying to find a pattern he's trying to find a mathematical okay pattern to it, yeah, yeah and he can't find it well <laughs> i I mean, synchronicities are um, very important in my life. They have been, and, and I think they are for all of us, our individual guidance system mm. and I, I, or, you know, uh, tools that can help us guide. And I, I suppose I see them as often being involving communication between non-physical intelligence and ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, kind of giving us signs. But the yep. one thing that I did, the one thing that I kind of, and I noticed it in your book, actually, I've made a note about it to, to mention it, is when you say that it, you know, it happens to us when we are, you know, working on ourselves and we're on the right track and we have the best in mind for ourselves and humanity. Mm. But I actually think also people who have unethical intention, um, there mm. are many extremely successful people with very unethical, you know, intentions. Sure for whom things seem to work out over and over yes. again. <laughs> and I think, well, they've also got their synchronicity. I think, I wonder if it's actually to do with the single-mindedness in that case, right? This, this, this drive that, well, the, the, the original matter will conform, right? If you bring consciousness with such a single-mindedness, then... Yeah, really good point, Kim. Mm. Nobody really has asked me this question, and it's very dear to my heart. So, like most things, you can use them for good or, or bad or for indifference. Um, the ability to align your intent of your heart with the universe and so on and the whole universe will conspire um, is not unique to people who are pursuing unconditional love. You're absolutely right. Mm. Um, and this is the, the final takeaway that I have on this is that you can make all the money in the world. You can be a successful, whatever that looks like for you, you know, sport, whatever. It's all good stuff. You can use unethical and ethical means to achieve that. And you'll end up with that, with that success. It will, you know, and there will be omens and there will be a synchronicity. But the value to you, the value to you and your personal sense of worth and self will only come, in my experience, when you align all of that effort and that willpower and that intent with unconditional love. I think, you know, was it St. Paul who said, you know, what does it profit me if I gain the whole world but, you know, lose my soul. And, and again, you know, St. Paul said, um, and I'm only quoting him because I actually think it was a really wise thing that he said, that, you know, if, 
if I can do this, I can achieve that, and I can achieve this. Even even in my religious faith, I can you know be this amazing religiously guruy person, but I don't I don't have love. It's of no value to me. It's actually it will not fill that space that only love can can fill, and and give us our true purpose. So yep, possible to to do whatever you want really um, if you can overcome the obstacles, the emotional obstacles. That you quite often, so anyway, if you can do that, some people can do it just through sheer willpower. That's that's fine, but. In the, in the end, have you really got that treasure, the true treasure? Yeah. So that treasure. And only, you can, and, and only they can answer that. Only you can answer yeah. that. You know, and, and many people are so dis, uh, misaligned with their their own inner self that quite often they they wouldn't even know how to answer that. It's mm-hmm. um, a disalignment from from that. So yeah, sounds very guruish what I just said. I didn't mean it in that way, but. That's my yeah, that's my take on it. Um, so for me, um, by keeping unconditional love front and center in, in all that I do, meets meets me. That's where I am met. Um, so I I don't come away from doing alchemy work, and I don't come away from talking about my book, and don't come away from being on a podcast like this or teaching to a group or, or whatever um, with a sense of, oh, that all sounds great, but wouldn't it be wonderful if it was true for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it actually is. It actually is true. And I've, I've only really only really decided to write my book when I knew that. I, so the authenticity that I measure, that I put on myself, was like, don't, you know, I could not write anything in that book that wasn't true for me. And it took me four years to write it mm-hmm. because the, I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd hit on a thing that I knew was true and i go, mm, not sure whether I've really uh, taken that in. I don't think I've owned that. So I would work on it. I would, I would say, right, I'm going to own that. Yeah, that reminds me of the story of Gandhi. Um, I don't know if you know this story where uh, a woman yeah. brought her child to him and said, tell my child to stop eating sugar. And he said, come back in a week. And then, you know, his, his people around him, oh, then she came back a week and he told the child to stop eating sugar, right? And he said, why do you want me to come back in a week? And he said, well, a week ago, I was still eating sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to clear that exactly right you have to be the um Candy. do the uh model oh, absolutely experience. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely because otherwise there's no authenticity i mean we can all say whatever we want can't we yeah. <laughs> um but it has, has no real meaning unless it's authentic for us yeah, yeah. now i was curious um and maybe to to wrap up you know because you were telling me before we started that you've started working you, you're working with people you're developing a course yeah. And I was really interested, you were talking about how you um, kind of do one-on-one work with people, although from what I understood, you're not really, they're not there necessarily, but you, um, you know, you call it your alchemical process with them, yes. where you really focus on them, but maybe just explain what, what it is you do, right? So someone comes to you with, a, with a, something they struggle with in their life, I guess, right? That's when mm-hmm. people come or they have a goal they want to achieve and they're blocked or something. Yeah. 
How do you exactly? So um, I'm going to take us all back to the story of the alchemist, and about halfway through, what we discover is that the the hero Santiago, the boy, um, arrives at the oasis in the middle of the desert on his trek towards the pyramids to find his true treasure and goal. And um, he's made quite a lot of money. He's learned to start communing with the universe. He's learned that love is important, that unconditional love is important in his life. And he meets his first real love, Fatima, in Oasis. It's all good. And at that point, this character appears, the alchemist, on this white stallion with this sharp saber sword with a hawk on his shoulder and he confronts Santiago and says you can stay here if you wish for the rest of your life but I'm here to tell you that you've still got treasure down the road at the pyramids so I'm here to invoke, if you like, what you already know, because you know quite a lot, Santiago, at this point. He says, you know, you know a lot. You've come a long way, and I will help invoke you make that final shift, that dimensional shift that you need to make to fully enter into your true self and into your true purpose and and, and being. And um, then I remembered that's what Paolo did for me, and I thought, well, it must be possible to do this for other people. So I spent many, many years um, doing it for myself. Um, and there is that episode at the end of, of the book that I use as the model for this. Um, and then I started studying alchemy again. Could, and you, could, realized, you, ex- could you just explain that? that, that yeah. So, process? so um, this is my process. This isn't the alchemy. There is no such thing as the alchemy process. Yeah. It's yeah. my process. Um, what I realized was that if I call on unconditional love, call on all of the elements of the universe that, that support that, um, that I could identify within my own psyche things that I consciously am not aware of, but unconsciously I realize are in the way. Just stuff that is there that has prevents me from entering into my true empowerment, whatever that might be. And so I began doing that work for myself. And I I use a combination of very, di- very different things I imagine myself, or if I'm working with somebody else, I imagine them in a gold circle, which is on the front cover of my book. <laughs> That's the illustration from my book. So I, you know, I, I start with a blank gold circle. There it is, there's the gold circle. So in my imagination, that represents true empowerment, the goal that we all seek in our life. And I call unconditional love into that space until um, it's uh, it's identified. So love will identify the issue. That's what we're looking for. So these are unseen issues. I mean, I'd be not conscious of them. I just know there's something there and I want to identify it. And always, love always identifies the issue. It may take several days. I generally do the work when I'm either drifting in, into sleep or out of sleep. I've stopped daydreaming. I've substituted this work for daydreaming. So I don't daydream about other stuff. I bring so if my, you find yourself sitting at your desk and drifting off, you catch yourself and go, okay, I'm focusing on your something. I've got a gold circle, yes. 
instantly yeah. I've got a gold circle and I've got something in the gold circle. Like, so I'm using that time. That's taken me, that took me about 15 years mm-hmm. to master that because the brain and the psyche really doesn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it's got lots of other distractions that it it's much more interested in. And you all know what I'm talking about. It can be anything and everything trivial, important, anxieties, you name it, excitement and all, you know, really wonderful spiritual things, really mundane, boring things, so much that we waste our brain on. Um, so I thought, well, rather than waste my brain on that, why don't I just focus my, my, my consciousness? And then I find I slip into the unconscious and then the unconscious takes over and I eventually I will see what the issue is. And it's always different for everybody, different for myself. So I did that for myself for about five years at least um, and found amazing results, um, cleared so much stuff, so much garbage hanging around in my unconscious that just didn't need to be there. Some of it had to do with ancestral inherited stuff. Some of it had to do with relationships in the here and now or in the past or whatever, you know, hundreds of things. And I stuck at it. I just thought I'll see where this ends up and I'll just So, so would you on. so if you have an issue, I don't know, let's say you have a an interaction with your wife and you suddenly notice yourself acting out of a habitual, you know, you have mm-hmm. emotional reactions and you think, oh where do they yep. come from? They must be yep. really old. Is that what you then you okay, I'll 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 keep hold of that and the next time I do my exercise I'll put that in the gold circle. Is that the sort of is that kind yeah, of yeah if it if it defies understanding yeah so the example you gave can quite often be explained by you know you can read something or you can see a counselor or okay. you know, we have a lot of understanding as humans and so i know i nearly always encourage like you know myself i did and others to pursue those avenues first but then when you get to the point where even that understanding isn't helping Right. That's that's when alchemy kicks in. That's when I use alchemy. So it's when all other avenues have been exhausted. Well, that's that's interesting, right? I was just having this conversation, um, similar conversation with someone else, and it's a it's a um, it's a different paradigm, right? Because I would say, mm-hmm. do counselling, you know, do this sort of self inquiry, and then when you hit points where you can't really seem to go go anywhere with that then yep. look at look at past lives for example look at yeah you know so that sort of multidimensional aspect which it sounds like that's where alchemy that's the same domain what you would call alchemy yes at least that's how i my lens that's how i see it through my lens you might see it differently so i so i did yes absolutely um and so when I realized that I could do this myself, I thought, I wonder if I can do it for other people. And so I, I began to do it for people I love, people I knew, people who needed help, um, but seemed stuck, some momentous things that they were stuck on. And so, on. so I began to do it without even telling them. <laughs> right. A bit naughty, really, but um, it was all good, it, always good. Um, and I, I saw shifts happen, mega mega shifts and um so i began to confess and they were very grateful <laughs> of course <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> I by helped the way you secretly yeah i'm sorry i helped you 
And then I realized that I could, I felt, especially when I was writing my book, I felt that I was being asked to just not keep this to myself anymore. And that was a big challenge because it meant I had to make myself super vulnerable and I didn't, I wasn't very good at making myself vulnerable. I know it doesn't seem that listening no, to me I think today. You've, you've come, you've stepped across that bridge for sure. Yeah, I've come across that threshold big time and I've no fear of being vulnerable anymore. In fact, I've realised it's my greatest power mm. um, and same for all of us. If we're fearing being vulnerable, then we're holding, we're holding back the power that we possess. Um, and so I told the universe um, that I was available um, and that this was what my book really has led to is when people read my book and then they talk to me quite often and then I explain this work that I do, they, it's almost instant. So I'm a bit like the alchemist. I, I think in a cosmic sense, I'm a bit like the alchemist. I'm at the, I'm at the oasis and as each camel train comes through, there is going to be somebody who's been on the journey and most of the people I work with have been on the journey a long time. Mm -hmm. So these are people who, who say to me, I've tried everything else column. I've been to this shaman. I've been to this psychic. I've been to this medium. I've been to this healer. I've been to that healer and, you know, years of stuff and, and great things have happened, but they say, but I'm stuck. There's just this one thing that I feel stuck on. And I go, well, if, have you had any omens recently that would say that this is the right time to, to work with this? And they say, yeah, there's this and this. And then I, and I agree, okay, well, let's do it. Um, and so what I used to do for myself, I, I do for others. And the universe and love will reveal. And it's a partnership. So it's not just me on my own, even though they're thousands of miles away. Always. I mean, there's nobody here. <laughs> Nobody sitting in my office. I don't have a couch. <laughs> I just have a gold circle. Um, and um, they they are normally very open as well. So what will begin to happen is that they there they will enter into their power to deal with this thing as I as I bring unconditional love into their into their unconscious, and and together things shift. Yeah. and um, they're able to move on and um, move on and do incredible things. And uh, they have their own partnership now with unconditional love in a way that has given them a new tool to be able to continue applying what, what they've learned to apply with me um, ongoing for the rest of their life. Um, so it is, it is quite amazing. I mean, it doesn't interfere with their religious beliefs quite often, I mean, people come to me with varying, varying, you know, individual religious beliefs as well. Sure. And and love will just use yeah. whatever metaphor they happen to have at hand. And I can it's, only imagine, um, I can only imagine how going back to the beginning of our conversation when you were, you know, a successful business person or, you know, mm. in the publishing industry and, mm. uh, but feeling this, this, lack in some area that that this kind of work now would be play a big role in in yeah. fulfilling that in fulfilling that lack fulfilling meeting that yeah. needs in yourself it's what paolo did for me mm. and i didn't ask him to do it he just yeah. did it out of gratitude so there you go so colm how can people find you um the secret of the alchemist your book that's obviously available at all the usual everywhere everywhere yep 
Angus and Robertson online, yeah, Dimmicks online, if we're in Australia. Well, um, Angus and Robertson no longer, is no longer. Oh, right. Okay. It got yeah. absorbed. That's right. Um, so, yeah, all good online bookstores. Yeah. Um, and my own website, comholland.com, C-O-L-M, holland.com, will take you to all my social media, which um, I, I have a team of, of guys, girls who do all of that for me because I'm too busy <laughs> working on. But um, if anybody tries to contact me, then it's always brought to me. They, they will let me know. So if you want to, if you want to get in contact with me, sure. Um, there's a contact form on my website or there's LinkedIn, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, yeah. there's yeah. <laughs> all the usual yeah. stuff. Somebody said I need to join TikTok. Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Kim? <laughs> Shall uh, I? <laughs> I don't Do know. Do I need to be on TikTok? I don't know. I just watched The Social Dilemma. I'm just wondering, thinking about getting rid of all of those platforms. <laughs> <laughs> Very tempting to get rid of them, actually. Yeah. Yeah, for lots of reasons. But, um, yeah, I just use them as communication channels. Yeah, really, and not. they're good. They're great for community as well. This is, this is the dilemma. This is one of my dilemmas is they mm. build community and they come with some drawbacks. Yeah. I, I am... As you mentioned, you just alluded that I am going to be launching a course yes. called um, Calm Holland School of um, Alchemy Transformation, for want of a better word. It might change. You might find it's called something else by the time we get to January next year. But, um, yeah, just by demand, people are saying, you know, I want to learn what you know. Uh, I want to be able to absorb the metaphor that you that you've managed to understand um so the first place to do that is to read my book yeah um but i will be promoting that school um and that will have a community around it of of like-minded people who are all on the same path and looking for um new insights into how they can continue their their personal journeys of, of transformation and uh, I just want to say, Eric, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having taking the time out and and having me on your podcast, by the way. And those of you who know, I actually also have a podcast, and I've interviewed Eric, and that's coming up soon. That will be Kim, released. Kim, on. Kim. Yeah. <laughs> Kim is my name, not Eric. <laughs> and um, so sorry, Kim. Um, and I will be um, – we, we talk a lot about your work and, and I'm really uh, impressed by, you know, what you do and uh, all power, every blessing to the work you do, particularly with Indigenous peoples there in Australia. It's yeah, thank amazing. you, Tom. I really, I've really enjoyed, um, I feel really uplifted, you know, from our conversation. So yeah. I, I um, sense, you know, the, the, the love that you're connecting with and your commitment to spreading that in the world. It's really beautiful. So thanks so much for doing that here. Thanks for having me. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune Seeing Us Out is another one from Axel Tesliff. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com, including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, 
multidimensional evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies. <laughs>